Welcome to the Arts and Humanities podcast for Monday, 26th of March 2007, here at Oxford Brookes University. We're at the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies for a publishing research seminar. Today, the guest speaker is Hannah Bullock, who is Deputy Editor of Green Futures. I'm delighted now to welcome Hannah Bullock to talk to you. Um, as you know, she's the Deputy Editor of Green Futures, and she's going to talk about that too. Thanks very much, Hannah. Hi. Thanks for all coming on this lovely sunny day. It's really warm out there, but you, you won't regret being here, so it's good. Um, I basically want to talk to you about what I do on Green Futures magazine and uh, hopefully we can sort of tease out some of the issues surrounding publishing in not-for-profit magazines. Um, so I'm going to um, talk for about half an hour and uh, hopefully ask for some responses from you within that time as well so it doesn't get too dull, just me speaking. Um, I've chosen uh, just a few carefully selected slides, so about ten. Um, unfortunately I haven't got any magazines to give you today but uh, they should be arriving in a few days so if you go along to your next seminar or whatever they should be there. Um, and so what I'm going to do is divide it into six, six sections. Uh, the first bit is to um, tell you a bit about why Green Futures exists um, and then secondly talk about our editorial mission, what we try and say in the magazine. And then we talked a bit about finance, where we get our money from. Uh, then moving on to uh, printing and production. And moving on to uh, what the future holds for Green Futures, how we've got to keep up with changing developments. And then if we've got time, I'll talk a bit about my role and my, what I do every day, basically. Uh, or you can come and ask me that afterwards if we run out of time. Um, now, rather than sort of just tell you what Green Futures does, I'm going to ask you to play a game and give me some answers first. So I'm putting up a recent cover of Green Futures, which has loads of clues about what we're about. Um, you should be able to build a profile of us, looking at all the images and little bits of text that we've got on there. And I hope it's large enough. It's, if it's not, you know, feel free to come up and have a look. Or I could pass this around as well at the same time. I'm going to give you a few minutes to just come up with maybe six things that you think uh, are the essential characteristics of Green Futures magazine. And uh, feel free to do it with the person sitting next to you and then uh, I'll collect in the ideas verbally. Uh, so this, this is us and it says uh, Green Futures number 60. It's got a website up there. September, October 2006. Uh, greening the catwalk in search of a fashion that's fit for the planet. And at the bottom it says uh, it's published by Form for the Future. So if you could just sort of try and put together my profile of Green Futures. Feel free to have a look at this one if you can't see and just keep it circulating.
That's enough time. We probably won't have all got everything, but hopefully together we can piece it together. And then, of course, I can tell you the answer at the end anyway. So. Uh, does anyone want to start? Put up your hand. Right, Leander. <laughs> I thought that the photography looks quite very true. Um, a lot of the people that it goes to uh, read it within their workplace, politicians, uh, CEOs of companies, um, people that work in, in, in the environment sector but they're reading it at work yeah, and kind of we, we like to think we have an intelligent reader but uh, maybe they don't know everything about the environment already. So yes. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Pointing out that the environment can come in from kind of an aspect in your life or in the world that you wouldn't expect it to come from, like the catwalk. Mm, that's <laughs> right. expect to see green issues of yeah, that's right. Um, we, we don't want it just to be about global warming because there's a lot of that in the press at the moment. And I think people are getting just a little bit bored of that. So, yeah. Uh, what about the sort of regularity? Is it a, a weekly magazine, for example? <laughs> yeah, six times a year, which is known as bi monthly. Yeah. Uh, what about, is it a newsstand magazine? We haven't got a price on it. That's right. Yeah, it's a subscriber magazine. Um, what about who publishes it? Do you think it might be sort of EMAP? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does, does anybody know it? I must go back and tell them, no, no. <laughs> it's, an, it's an environmental charity um, founded by uh, Jonathan Porritt and they work with businesses and local authorities and etc trying to push them on their environmental stuff. Is that their logo? The thing in the yeah, it's logo, slightly it's cut off there brilliant. but yeah, it's, uh, we're having a brand refresh so don't worry. <laughs> anyway, um, so let me just sort of recap uh, some of the things we said. It's basically a bi-monthly magazine uh, published by an environmental charity, it has subscriptions, readership, um, also has a website which backs up the magazine, it covers environmental issues. Um, and if you're really good at maths, uh, you see issue 60, it's been going for about 10 years. Um, so let me just tell you a bit about where we came from. Um, back in 1996, I think it was, um, there, there weren't very many people covering environmental issues and uh, it was just a few things in newspapers about oil spills or it was much more kind of, um, came from more campaign organisations, so newsletters from Friends of the Earth, or The Ecologist, which was trying to uncover bad practice. And we decided we had to have something which was much more positive and uh, try to show good practice and inspire people to take action in where they work. Uh, so we came up with this uh, in October 96, which I wasn't there to do, so that's, it doesn't look too good, I know. But uh, Got together with Dorling Kindersley, so you might recognise Sort of typeface. <laughs> uh, they help with the design. Um, but it was basically set up as a kind of 
uh, a vehicle to get a message across about the environment um, and shared the same mission as Forum for the Future. So I mentioned some of these readerships, uh, some of the readership. Um, we, we decided to put together a controlled circulation. We, we weren't just going to sell it to whoever. We were going to make sure that politicians and business leaders read this, even if they didn't pay for it. Um, so you'll see now the people that read it are um, great a lot from the public sector and from businesses and NGOs, media and higher education. But then also other is kind of uh, just consumers, you know, my mum and dad, etc. Um, they, they just jumped on the bandwagon, although we didn't specifically aim it at them. Um, so we have a, a circulation of 10,000 and uh, we estimate that about 40,000 actually read the magazine because often it will go to an organisation where the librarian or the CSR, the person who's responsible for corporate social responsibility will sort of file it and take the important articles and share them around the office. Um, about a fifth of our subscribers are paying so it's not an ideal business model, but it's a good way to get across a message. Um, so I've hinted at what type of things we cover, but I'd like to just move on to sort of strict editorial now. Um, I said that we, we try and put positive news in there. It's also mostly about UK things, because we're sending a message to the UK sort of, um, opinion formers. Uh, we do share pr uh, good stories, uh, good practice stories from people in Europe as well and also the US because they're facing the same type of ecological dilemmas etc as us and then also some great stories from say India because it's great to see how development can go hand in hand with environmental things as well so we choose uplifting things from there as well. Um, I'll show you some of the things that we do. This for example is from the first part of the magazine, there's about 20 pages of news stories within the 60 pages. And uh, these ones are quite long, but they, they, do, they can sometimes just be 150 words. And because it's every two months, we do a kind of roundup of uh, what's been happening. So in this January, no, in the March-April edition, it was a lot about retail. You've probably heard about Marks and Spencers and Tesco's making their big announcements. Um, Tesco and Marks and Spencers are Forum for the Future partners, so it was really great for us to be able to cover that. Um, although we're not the in-house magazine, we do like to talk about, obviously, some of the good things that cross over with Forum for the Future. And uh, we always try and lift the page with lots of colourful images and give a bit of breathing space as well with these sort of killer stats, facts and figures, etc. Um, although it's going to be professionals reading it, we, we do understand that They've obviously got a, a humorous side and personal side and they go shopping as well, so we kind of have to put in different little bits for them. Then we also have uh, much, bigger, much bigger features where we feel that something has to be taken seriously and so we sort of bring it to the forefront. This is quite a controversial one, especially with the title, um, but it was written by two well-known Muslim uh, journalists, so they were just calling for action and saying our faith community should be using um, the faith as a kind of leverage for people to start caring about the environment, especially as it's written into the text, into the Qurans, just as it's written into the Bible. Um, we also have uh, regular interviews, 
managed to get David Cameron. <laughs> Looking awful. <laughs> yeah, we, we took our own photographer along and he said, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, we were really proud of this because um, when the, it came to the Queen's speech and Tony Blair stood up in Parliament, he actually had a copy of Green Futures and said, wow, the right honourable gentleman, David Cameron, as he says in Green Futures. And we were really pleased about that. So they are taking it seriously. Um, what else do I want to men mention? So basically I said that we're a kind of vehicle for this message and you probably want to know, are we getting the message across? Does it work? Obviously examples like the one in the Parliament is great, but you need a better measure of, of how much impact you're having. Um, so one thing you could look at is the circulation. And over the last four years since I've been there, um, it hasn't actually gone up, it's fluctuated around 10,000. And that's probably because we, we don't have a very big marketing budget, because marketing involves investing now and getting a payback in something like three to five years. So it's not something we can get for and for the future to fund um, very much. So if you're not looking at circulation, you could also look at, like, do people actually change what they do from reading Green Futures? Um, we did a reader survey, and this was four years ago, and 55% of people said that they'd taken action reading Green Futures. Um, we always put in websites about initiatives so people can actually get on the phone and ask to order a wind turbine or find out something more. And uh, I've, I've kind of had anecdotal evidence from people that I've spoken to that they have gone out and, and bought a few things. We had our, our fashion feature and we talked about some trainers which were made of recycled suits and didn't have toxic glue so they were just stitched together and a guy from uh, UPM Kimini which is the paper print paper manufacturers uh, they worked with us and they they rang up and said we bought the trainers so, <laughs> so I was pleased but my boss said oh we're encouraging consumerism so <laughs> you can't really win there can you <laughs> um, and uh, I've also spoken to people from uh, BP, which is a Forum for the Future partner, and they've said that they don't miss an edition because it kind of helps with business decisions and stuff. So, can't prove anything, but I'm positive. Um, I want to talk about money now. Uh, I just wondered if anyone had any clues or picked up any clues about what I said, sorry, from what I said about where the money might come from. Um, there's sort of about five different streams of income that funds green futures. Well wishes. Well wishes. Do you, do, do you mean like individual? Charitable donations. Okay. People who believe in what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, very rarely actually. We, we don't sort of go around with the, the, sh the hat very often. Um, Forum for the Future does contact people who, he believes, who they believe will pay and we are partly financed by them. Um, it's not a very sort of regular income, really. You can't really plan anything if you're doing that. Well, you can That's right, yeah. Um, there's subscriptions, which accounts for about 13% of... We, we think it will account for 13% this year, judging by last year. We do, actually, but it's only 2% of our income. And we're not like Vogue. And uh, if you see the magazine, we've, we've just got a few 
um, inserts, sort of what you might call junk mail, but it's all in good cause, um, and adverts on the back and the inside back cover. Um, we have to have quite a strict um, editorial policy on it as well, so we don't really want to take it from the wrong people. Uh, any others? Well, I'll tell you the answer. You'll see that you mentioned subscriptions and advertising. Uh, there's also special publications. So you were talking about special publication. We put together with Beacon Press, which is our printer, and um, we we get people to sponsor something, something like you might get in the the Guardian at the weekend, a kind of one-off thing where you look in great depth at one issue, and have maybe ten stories written by a journalist, and. Uh, those cost £30,000, would you believe it? <laughs> um, and there's often corporate partners or, or public agency, public sector partners. So one example of those is this, which we produced with the Department for Food and Rural Affairs, who have a logo very similar to ours, but we aren't the same people. <laughs> um, I once went to an event and uh, we had all of these special publications on the stand and they said oh you're the magazine published by DEFRA and oh no <laughs> just occasionally so uh, they, they were the main sponsor for this and along with companies like Arab Engineering and WWF China for example I think it was about 10 people that got behind this one and they basically wanted to talk about China because it's is really important to the rest of the world how China develops And I mentioned Forum for the, Far Forum for the Future Partnerships. Um, like I said, the, the charity works with probably about 100 different businesses and different agencies um, as a sort of critical friend. And they pay like a partnership fee every year. And part of the benefits is that Green Futures goes to them. So we have a sort of transfer of money. And we also have our own partners in Green Futures where we give them space to actually write about some of the issues that are affecting them um, and try very hard not to make it a advertorial. It's, it's an article which is edited. Uh, sure. Um, on your special publications, it yeah. sounds to me like a big chunk of your income. How do you go about getting these special publications or do you now have a track record so people come to you? Well, it's both actually. Um, we did start off by just coming up with fantastic ideas, like let's do one on the sustainable sex industry. No, <laughs> uh, let's find because um, Anita Roddick's daughter runs a sort of a very high-class emporium, sustainable goods, and you know you could say, well, if the tea pickers are going to be have fair trade, why not? You know, apply that to the sex industry. So everyone was like, yeah, that's great, and. Uh, Sam Roddick said she'd give us some money and then we asked everybody else and no one else was interested. So, so we sort of can't go too far just having an idea. You have to have someone you know is ripe with their own idea that they need tapping into. So with DEFRA, for example, um, the China Supplement is part of a series and they're doing sustainable development dialogues uh, with between different governments. So they'll be talking to the Chinese government and they're now planning to talk to the Indian government Brazilian and the Mexican. So we're doing the India one in a few months and we're pitching for Mexico and Brazil. Okay, um, 
I just want to talk a bit about our printing and production. Um, we got this magazine and uh, 10,000 of these are going across the world every two months. They're quite heavy, they're quite glossy. We do have to make sure we can practice what we preach. Um, so maybe you could tell me what you think we might have had to think about when we produced the it. Printing, printing in the location of the customer? Uh, near, near us, you no, mean? No, no, I mean, if you're sending, I don't know, 2,000 to India or something. Oh, okay. If only. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point, but I don't <laughs> think we'd find such a high standard environmental printer out there. To be honest, most of it is in the UK. Most of our subscribers are here. Um, we did actually look into the distance between the mill and the printer, and we made sure that there was uh, one really close to um, Uckfield where we, we get it printed. But they're apparently closing down, so we'll have to look again. Yeah. So does someone say something over here? Uh, I think Beacon Press do do waterless printing. Um, I'm not an expert on it at all, but I know that they have that on their books and uh, also alcohol-free printing. Um, they also use vegetable-based inks and they are carbon neutral, so they pay to have their carbon emissions offset through projects such as tree planting. Does someone want to say something over here? I was going to ask about the inks that you use, Well, all I know is they're vegetable-based, so they can't be as evil as evil. But <laughs> um, no one's mentioned the main raw material. Paper. Yes, um, there's quite a few decisions we had, well, quite a few dilemmas we had. So, for example, you could go for something that, that holds the images really well. In fact, this is an old one, so it's not a very good example at all. But we do tend to have quite a lot of big images and the new magazines are a lot more glossy. So you don't want anything that shows through. You also don't want it to feel really kind of green and like toilet paper. Um, but then we had to make a decision about whether we wanted Forest Stewardship Council paper, which has a chain of custody right back to the, the forest. It's no, no illegal logging and they're very well managed. Uh, but instead we went for recycled paper. So it's 75% uh, recycled, and the other 25% is what we call mill broke. So it's a kind of waste product from the sawmill. Um, the other thing is we laminate the cover so that it's glossy and thick with um, something that's made of wood fibre. I have no idea how that can be see-through, but that's what I'm told. So. <laughs> um, and finally, um, it's sent out with a a carrier sheet with the address in um, plastic, which is biodegradable. Um, finally, I just want to talk a bit about the, the future for Green Futures. Um, one thing that we had to think about is the format. So when it was set up, we said, yeah, we want to do a magazine, we want people, people to be able to put it in their briefcases, read it on the train, etc., read it over breakfast. But you might think that we might like to go virtual if we want to really reduce our carbon emissions. Um, we have made a, a, a move towards that and we do have a website. Um, so we've, we've worked out that our major outgoing after salaries is print. 
So we're, we're actually decided to do just four issues a year from later on this year and uh, have a lot more updated stuff on the website. So that should answer, that should respond to two developments. One is the cost and the second one is um, things are changing out there and, and people are using the web a lot more for their, for their news. I know people that don't buy magazines or newspapers at all anymore. Um, so we, we're hoping to be able to uh, spend less time and money on the actual print magazine and actually have kind of daily or weekly updates on the website so people can get to that. Um, I can take you to this, hopefully get through. This is how it looks at the moment and it's very much um, a replica of the magazine so it gets put up there every two months after it comes out. Uh, we have a home page which sort of refers specifically to the hard copy format and these big um, articles, feature articles which you might not actually want to read on a screen. Um, maybe that we have to separate the content a bit more so it's a slower, more thoughtful read in the magazine and the kind of fast news thing on the web. So you've got those up there and just a few photos, but uh, not too many. And we'll be heading more towards this kind of thing where you have the really small news stories and you can just get stuff every day or every week. Um, and we'll, we'll also try and sort of make the, a better offer with the magazine so you can actually uh, get more pictures in there. There'll be double page spreads and you, know, you can sit about and think about it a bit more. Um, the other thing is that we've got to kind of respond a bit to um, the fact that the market isn't at all the same as when we entered it. So I said it was 10 years ago, there weren't really very many people talking about environmental news. And now it's just burgeoning so much. I mean, the London paper, Metro, they've all got their green pages, the Observer, and there's lots of trade magazines out there as well. And partly because companies are just seeing it as so much as an opportunity. So it's great for us in one sense, but we also have to kind of keep, keep our own niche. So we've kind of started taking on a few of the approaches that um, mainstream magazines have done. We're trying to get more well-known names in there, more celebrities. Um, we've spoken to a few bands and got them to tell us what they're doing that's green, for example. Um, and we've, we've had sort of consumer lists. So we had a green Valentine's list which actually got press release and went out to the London paper, so it's good to have that kind of link up. Um, but we don't want to just sell out and become a consumer magazine, because I think that would be joining the masses and probably not mean we wouldn't do very well at all, because there's already lots of people. Um, so it is uh, quite a challenge to remain fresh, and uh, all I can say is watch this space, basically. <laughs> um, do you want me to tell you a bit about what I do on the magazine myself, or shall I go straight into questions? Quick question. Yeah. Um, when you talked about uh, using recycled papers, mm. um, some of the research that I've done on, on different papers for magazines shows that a lot of the time recycled paper doesn't archive very well. Do you mean it kind of yellows, or? Okay. Um, I haven't come across that myself, uh, but then 
in our sort of back catalogue, we've used quite a few different things all the way through. So if you came and felt this, you'd, you'd see that it just wasn't very nice at all. Um, I, can't, I don't have any experience of that. Okay. Um, right, well, I'll just tell you a bit about what I do in my daily job. Um, I am deputy editor, but it's a very, very small team, so I do lots and lots of different things, um, not just editing, basically. Um, I'm the first point of call for incoming information, so we get lots and lots of press releases from uh, local councils, businesses, PR companies, also journalists wanting to pitch stories. So we have to kind of um, filter those out and see if they fit with the sort of UK positive stories thing um, and whether they're new, whether they're going to be of interest to anyone. Um, then we, I get involved in commissioning, so I'll often find... Um, the angle of a story and I'll have to sort of stand back from it, know what I want it to say without getting involved too much in the research, otherwise I'll be practically writing it. So I then go to an expert journalist who's got some experience writing that area. A few of these come back to me to be edited. Um, uh, my, my, boss, my bosses also do a lot of that and uh, it's really satisfying doing it, um, sort of like performing alchemy if it's really bad copy. It comes back and you manage to make it shine and that's great. Um, and sometimes it's easier than writing. I probably do five or ten percent of my job is actually writing because I'm not an expert so we ought to ask the people that actually know to write these things. Um, and yeah sometimes writing is like striding out into the dark you might have writer's block, whereas editing, you really got something to kind of work with. Um, I'll also get involved in research, so calling people up to ask for quotes and trying to get case studies together and things like that. Pass them on to a journalist often. Uh, also get involved in scheduling, so um, we're already we're thinking about our December issue, what's going to be in that. Um, make sure to call people up on time. And a little bit on production. Uh, I'm not a specialist on that, but I'll sort of help collate proofreading marks and sign-off pages when we go to press. And uh, the latest addition to my job is picture research, which is really nice because um, it involves sort of translating the, the message that you want to say into something that just sums it up in one picture. And uh, it's... Um, I got to do that for the, the Green Jihad one, so we came up with this idea of the green prayer beads. We tried to steer clear of all these pictures of people with placards and the Iraq war and just tried to find something really sort of thoughtful. So uh, it's very, very varied and um, a little bit manic sometimes. You feel like you're spinning lots and lots of plates. But I do have the luxury of, of only going to press once every two months, so you do get to take breath as well.